Hello, everybody out there in Radio Landia. It is Elizabeth Archer coming at you again with another edition of the Farm and Garden Show. As always, it is a delight to be here with you. And got a shout out to my girl May, summertime and the living's easy. We got a couple months ahead of us to play, baby girl. I'm excited that you made it through kindergarten. As always, I am so proud to be your mama. My guest today is Jess Arnstein. Jess is the culinary farm manager of Long Meadow Ranch and Farmstead Restaurant in St. Helena. For the past 15 years, Jess has developed and directed some of the most spectacular diversified organic farms in Colorado and California, including farms featured on PBS, Modern Farmer, and Forbes. Now managing the 10-acre culinary farm at Long Meadow Ranch and Farmstead Restaurant, Jess supplies LMR's three farmers markets and collaborates with Farmstead chefs to curate with Farmstead's chefs, excuse me, that is the name of the restaurant, to curate the season's best tasting organic eggs, fruits, and vegetables from soil to plate. Welcome to the Farm and Garden Show, Jess. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. So nice to have you. Um, it's funny, I just read the intro for the Farmer's Convergence, which is coming back for the first time after, I believe, a three-year hiatus. And I think that's the first place you and I ever met. That's right. It's been a while. It, it's been a minute. And at that time, I believe you were working at Parducci managing their farm. Is that correct? That's right. I, I helped them start a 15-acre farm right along the 101 there that uh, fed the 60 or so employees for uh, for about seven years. And when did you leave Mendocino County for Napa County? Yeah, that was about uh, four and a half years ago. Uh, so as as the program there kind of evolved and changed and uh, more or less wound down, um, it was um, there was an opportunity here in St. Helena to uh, to manage uh, the fruit and vegetable and egg production for uh, for Farmstead Restaurant. So tell me a little bit about Long Meadow Ranch and it, the attached Farmstead Restaurant. Like what? What's going on down there? Yeah, um, it it was a kind of a vision that was started by the Hall family and in the early 90s. They came up here uh, just kind of wanting to grow some grapes, and they got a property called Long Meadow Ranch because it has a long meadow on it, and it's kind of up here overlooking the Napa Valley. And uh, they were just going to raise some grapes and uh, some beef cattle, and as uh, they were horseback riding one day, they discovered that nestled in the uh, the Douglas fir forest, uh, there was actually an olive grove, Ooh. and uh, it had been it had been planted uh, in the mid 1800s by, by a Civil War veteran uh, who had received the land as a land grant, and so they they uh, restored the olives, and then they were starting to make olive oil. Uh, so they added olive oil to the wine grapes, to the beef cattle. They, their sons started growing uh, fruits and vegetables and taking them to the local farmer's market. Uh, at that point, they needed uh, more flat land. So they purchased the property at the uh, in the flat valley floor below, uh, below the uh, foothills and started producing vegetables. So at that point, they had all the ingredients 
And it wasn't until they had all, all those separate ingredients that they decided to start the restaurant. Uh, so and what year was that more or less when farm stand started yeah, or Farmstead. Farmstead was that all those pieces kind of culminated in um, it would have been about 14 years ago so I, I want to say right around 2009 2010 uh, that that farmstead was born out of really out of all those ingredients I for some reason in my head I thought it was even older than that I'm so impressed that in the early 2000s, they bought Napa Valley acreage to plant in farm and not in grapes. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing, and uh, you know the it is quite it is a sliver of land uh, here in the valley floor. It's basically a five acre sliver, and then I farm another five acres up the valley. Um, but still, that's 10 acres dedicated to vegetables in one of the world's most expensive wine regions. Right before our show, I checked, and the average cost of an acre of ag land in Napa County is almost $70,000. And you have 10 of them. That's, that's true. And we grow kale and heirloom tomatoes and crops that don't quite fetch the same amount as Napa Valley Cab. Uh, and yet they make the restaurant and and kind of what Alamar does make us so special and so different from our neighbors, if that makes sense. And how many acres in vines does Longmeadow Ranch have? Do you know? You know, between, yeah, between what we have, I couldn't give you an exact number, between what we have up on the hill on the original ranch down the valley floor, and then also in Mendocino County in the Anderson Valley, um, we probably have around 300 acres of of grape of wine grapes got it yeah anderson valley can't beat it got some pinot planted out there i'm guessing absolutely it's actually (laughs) we're right right there next to the uh the apple farm uh, in philo so we have a a, it's about 200 acres of pinot uh touching the navarra river there across from the apple farm and then we also have a tasting room up there at the madrones so oh my goodness um if you can't can't make it down to St. Helena to do a tasting. Uh, you can also taste taste there in the, at the Madrones or, or come do both. So how much of what you grow on those 10 acres goes straight into Farmstead Restaurant? Yeah, good question. We grow about 100,000 pounds of fruit and vegetable every year. And depending on the season, about 50% to 75% of that goes uh, to the restaurant, directly to the chefs and onto the plate. Uh, so yeah, fifty to seventy-five thousand pounds a year is that go in that direction, and then uh, the remainder is dedicated to our, the three farmers markets that we operate. Got it. And what can you like not grow enough of to keep the restaurant happy? Like if they were like, if you would plant all ten acres in this, we'd be happy. What do they want the most of you? Well, no, that's that's a good question. You know, I mean, we they would love if if I could provide them broccolini year round. That's such a popular dish, but it's just not seasonal year round. Uh, one thing that I can always guarantee to provide a hundred percent of is their heirloom tomatoes. And, uh, and sometimes when it comes to something like heirloom tomatoes, I can always provide, uh, more than enough of it. But the question is, can I get them early enough? And, and uh, this year that's going to really be a struggle. Uh, it, it can be, but I, I've, learned various tricks to get them earlier and earlier so despite the weather this year we've actually already been harvesting um some of our first no you have not we have because because i um 
every season I know it's I know it's a question from the chefs. Um, you know, usually once once you get your first maybe eighty or eighty five degree day, the question is, oh, where where are the tomatoes? Uh, <laughs> and I have to remind them it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, Tell us but, your secrets. Well, the first the first secret is, and this I this isn't an heirloom tomato, but is cherry tomatoes. Uh, just to get a first splash of tomatoes, go we go with to, uh, cherry tomatoes very early. We start them in January and then we transplant them into our tunnel. So we put them in under protection and those start for us in May. And then we do a similar thing the following month with, with our heirloom tomatoes and we plant them in the, out in the field, but under, under cover, under, um, Agrabon or Ruby May. So to me, it's not the most, it's not the most natural way in the sense of, you know, just out in the full elements, but you can get in both of those scenarios, you're getting, uh, between one and two months of a head start. Uh, so you have to do some, some season, uh, some season protection, basically using plastics or, or covers. Uh, but still to me, my favorite crop is the crop that we plant, you know, right on time, uh, straight into the field without kind of, without any cover or anything like that. But you still have to, it's, it's always nice to have that first early tomato. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm being fully honest, I joke a lot on this show that I am neither a farmer nor a gardener, really. And I've had Julia Dakin on the show a couple times, who's really a proponent of land race gardening. And that's just like, cast the seeds directly into the soil and see what they do. Um, and keep the seeds from the ones that thrive. And I went through all of my old seeds and picked out all of the tomatoes and just chucked them in my garden. And I'm just like letting them come up. And I think the biggest one is... We did it really late. It's maybe like three inches tall. So we are a far ways out from that first tomato. Hopefully someone coming to the Ukiah Farmer's Market can hook me up. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to have to come see you, get some cherry tomatoes. Please, please do. <laughs> What's kind of your like overall farming philosophy that you, that you use at Long Meadow Ranch? Well, we practice what we call full circle farming. And, you know, I mentioned that ingredients from uh, from wine grapes to olive oil to beef uh, grass-fed grass-finished beef and lamb to fruit vegetable and eggs and each it's called full circle farming because each part contributes to the whole and the waste products of each part contribute as a resource to uh, as as inputs to the other uh, the other products and the other operations so of course the the grape, the compost that comes out of the uh, winery and out of the olive mill, that is rich compost that goes back in the vineyard and onto the farm and gardens. Uh, the chicken manure and shavings that we use is composted and goes into the orchard. Uh, and meanwhile, the chickens are grazing under those orchard trees and eating grubs that would otherwise be a pest to the to the fruit trees. Uh, so it's full circle farming. Uh, and that that's probably the the basis of, of how we operate. Uh, and our our slogan, our, our motto is excellence through responsible farming. So we try to be as responsible as possible. I mean, farming is really at the root of every bit of um, you know, winemaking and culinary operation at, 
that we're doing, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here without it. That sounds very similar to regenerative organic farming or even biodynamic farming. I, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, using as many inputs from directly from the farm uh, as as possible. Uh, so, I, I think you know, and then you know, we also and we also have to be as as practical as possible. And uh, I need we need to make sure that that we also uh, can pay the bills and that the that the restaurant is getting a good deal from from what we're we're doing on the farm. So I think. Uh, we're also business people and being economically uh, sustainable is, is really important as well. Sure. I mean, yeah, it's farming is a notoriously tough industry and restaurants are a notoriously tough industry and you're trying to keep both of them successful. So I can certainly imagine the, the pragmatism that has to accompany all of your decisions. You mentioned that you have livestock and it's called Long Meadow Ranch. So that makes sense. Um, you, so far you mentioned beef, sheep, and chickens. What, what, how many head do you have? Do you have anything else going on out there? And can you get that meat in the restaurant? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm responsible for fruit, vegetable, and egg production. So we have a 400, uh, 400 head or 400 hen flock of, of laying birds. Uh, so we produce about 5,000 dozen eggs per year. From, wow. from that in that flock, uh, and then elsewhere on our ranch, including up at Long Meadow Ranch, the original uh, homestead at, at, um, up on the hill, we have some of our bulls, and then out in Tomales Bay is where we have the majority of our cow calf herd. Uh, we raise a, a heritage breed called Scotch Highland um, or Scottish Highlander. Uh, um, from Scotland, uh, it's sort of that. Some would say very cute, uh, sort of curly, shaggy red red hair breed, where their their sort of shaggy red hair falls in their eyes, and they're they're really a durable, great uh, great mothers, and uh, and really really good for our area, especially out on the coast. Yeah, uh, I think that's where I've seen them before. They they really thrive in that coastal zone. Absolutely, and uh, you may have seen our. Uh, our herd it's about a hundred cow calf pair and you would see them on the road between the town of tamales and tamales bay you wouldn't you can't miss them um so so we raise also some some lamb out there and we also uh raise some lamb and finish some lamb up in ferndale oh in wow Hunter, so places where where the grass stays greener year round sure uh, whereas you know same as Mendocino County, um, inland Mendocino and uh, inland Napa, things dry out in the in the summer, and it's not as ideal for uh, for big big ruminants. What does the restaurant do with all those eggs? Like, is quiche on the menu? What, do you sell those at a at the farmers market? That's a lot of eggs. Little the farmers market, and we we sell out every every market. Uh, the chefs typically, we don't use the eggs for baking. Uh, the chefs will do special uh, special dishes with them, whether it be pickled eggs or an egg on a burger. Uh, so we we wouldn't we wouldn't you know let our precious eggs necessarily go into into a not even into a quiche. Uh, so we we make sure we provide to our farmers market customers, and then we let the chefs use them for some of their real specialty dishes. Got it. 
Interesting. Hey, time's flying by. Let me take a minute to reintroduce us. It's the Farm and Garden Show. I am your host, Elizabeth Archer. Today I'm interviewing Jess Arnstein. Jess is the culinary farm manager for Long Meadow Ranch and Farmstead Restaurant in St. Helena. Let's talk a little bit about the farm to table movement because what you're describing is literal farm to table. You have a farm adjacent to a restaurant. You provide that restaurant with many, many tons of food grown directly on site. Um, the farm to table craze really started back in the sixties with the back to the land movement, which as we all know, it has, you know, really strong roots here in Mendocino County. In 1971, Alice Waters opened Chez Panisse in Berkeley. It's still going strong, remains a beacon of the farm to table movement. I feel like even though farm to table has been around for a really long time, it's sort of reached like a fever pitch in the last 10 years or so. And I'm, it's very prevalent, especially in Northern California. How did you personally get involved in farm to table? And what do you think, what's the role that farm to table plays in our local food sheds and in our global food systems? Okay. Uh, just a, well, a minor, just small question. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, and I mean, I in some ways I got involved in local food and farming through global food systems. I I thought that in, in, during college, actually, I, I thought I wanted to save the world uh, through fair trade and organic coffee. And uh, as sophomores, a, a good friend of mine and I, uh, as we raised a million dollars and we started a coffee roasting business. What? Uh, I did not know this. <laughs> we dropped out of college or took a leave of absence from college. Uh, to buy coffee directly from uh, farmers, pay a living wage, and sell it around the country. Um, what was your coffee business called? It was called Buy Well Coffee. So Buy Well Fair Trade Organic Coffee. And our our plans were to get into uh, after coffee to get into tea and chocolate, and really be sort of this fair trade direct source hub for all over the world. All of the world. Um, and it was a great experience. Uh, you know, as 19 year old, 20 year old kids, we ended up with a, um, a nice large coffee roasting warehouse, 10 employees. Uh, we were extremely aggressive with how we, um, marketed and sold. And, uh, we have, we did have a lot of success, but I also recognized that, or I learned through that process. One, you can't, you can't save the world, uh, through, through business. Um, Two, I realized I didn't want to be in business necessarily behind a computer or dealing with investors or, or managing a um, essentially a, a factory uh, or a roastery. Um, and finally, I realized that the, the farmers who quote unquote poor farmers I was trying to save uh, had a lot of things figured out better than I did. Um, and they, in many cases, knew where their food was coming from. They had their own farms. They had their own plots of land that they grew their own food. If there were a global food shortage or maybe the inability for truck lines to tra transport uh, food and commodities, those those farmers probably would have been fine. Uh, but many of the communities that I lived in uh, would not have. So that's when I changed course and decided to to learn how to grow my own food and learn how to grow food for for the community around me. What an interesting and valuable and early lesson in the pitfalls of white saviorism. There you go. Absolutely. 
I, I, I learned that early. So I'm not trying, yeah, I'm not trying to save anyone anymore. I, I just try to grow as much, really as much good quality food as I can. Well, I'm, I'm like flabbergasted that that at 19 years old, you raised a million dollars and started a coffee business. <laughs> it, it flabbergasted me too a little bit. I, I don't think I would ever do it again. I mean, I really, I really wouldn't. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad I did it when I, when I did. Well, that's an interesting way to think about farm to table too, because as you said, a lot of these, you know, coffee farmers you were trying to support had their own little, you know, farm to table movements happening just in their own communities. Um, here in Northern California, where there is a lot of wealth, farm to table can be a status symbol. It can be very hard to access for someone with an average or below average poverty level income. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on like the farm to table movement, quote unquote, and how it's really been marketed um, and sort of like latched onto by these rich white people and the people who aren't benefiting necessarily. I don't know if that's a coherent question. Do you, do you get what I'm putting down? I do. Uh, it has there's a there's a few aspects of it one is it is marketable and it is sexy and it is just uh everyone wants something that is unique and if you can get a, a piece of you know if you're a restaurant and you can show that you're the only one getting this product and it's from right down the street or it's from this local farm uh it's going to be better it's going to be uh there's a story behind it and so that definitely is latched onto by by many i think chefs and restaurateurs uh because it, it can sell and it can allow you to you know maybe charge double for a dish that otherwise wouldn't be uh you know on the other side of it is one thing i mean we and i, I think we can we can get away with that i think our we were we're producing food and we're, we're putting food on the plate that's generous portions but we do charge more because of how fresh it is and what good qual the, the quality of what we what we offer. On the other hand, when we go to farmers markets, it's which it's such an important part of what we do. We we love uh, the ability to do the EBT food stamp match program, um, where yes, that's such an important dollars, program. Yeah, someone's dollars are are doubled, and so therefore you actually are getting a good deal on the fresh organic produce uh, the the buyer is and then that money is also staying in the community staying with local farms and so to me that's that's such a, a win-win obviously and uh and that's something that i think is important for for all farmers markets to do how and, much does uh, napa valley do napa valley farmers markets match it's it's a one-for-one -one match but up to how much? I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, I, the reason I ask is because I never miss an opportunity to plug Mendocino County's market match program, which my understanding is it matches at the highest rate of any county in California. Uh, and it's a $30 match, um, which is just amazing. If you have EBT, if you're a food stamps user and you bring your EBT card to uh, the farmer's markets anywhere in Mendocino County, and you say, I want to put $30 on this, you will get $60 to spend at the market, which is just like, I mean, the impact of that really can't be understated on the shoppers and on the farmers, because that, you know, farmers are, 
often poverty level themselves. So thank you for letting me take that little um, sidestep into Mendocino County's greatness. And I'm so glad that Napa Valley has that too. Because, you know, Napa Valley has certainly a reputation of it's a world-class wine destination. There's a lot of wealth there. But there's also, I'm assuming, like in every part of the world, poverty there. And I imagine that those um, farmer's markets and fairly priced market vegetables that are grown locally are really important part of a lot of people's you know, weekly shopping habits that maybe can't afford to eat at Farmstead. Very much so. And I think we do get it in some cases that there's overlap in our customers at farmer's market and at the restaurant. In some cases, there's not. And I, I will say, I mean, some of our very best and most loyal customers are using that food stamp match program. As they, I mean, yeah, everybody should use, if you have EBT, there is no reason you should not be going to the farmer's market and doubling your dollars because it's, that is what it's there for. And there is no shame in needing a little bit of assistance. We all could probably use a little bit more assistance in this, um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps culture that doesn't really benefit anybody. Um so much was covered just now and I feel like I had a million questions about sort of the like farm to table movement. I will say it like everything does eventually has fallen victim to greenwashing. Um, I think most people know what that means, but greenwashing is basically the act of labeling something that you're doing or some product you're trying to sell as, you know, sustainable or organic or whatever. And there are a lot of places, restaurants that call themselves farm to table that are maybe, you know, sourcing like lettuce from a local farmer and everything else comes off the food truck that, or the, you know, the distributor truck every day. Um, how does that green washing, like, how do you see that showing up in, in the farm to table, you know, universe you, you operate in? It definitely exists. And a lot of it is, is marketing. I, I've seen it. I think it was an interesting display of that when sort of the rubber met the road when at the beginning of the pandemic and you had the certain restaurants not able to get products they needed and and a lot of also consumers not able to get products they needed. It was in, it was obviously a challenging time for everyone, but as in the restaurant business, when you have to close your doors, uh, we. We as a restaurant started takeout, of course, and takeout and delivery. And I also, as a farmer, I had, this was springtime, so I had a huge supply of produce coming in and building up at that time, not to mention eggs. And if my number one customer, the restaurant, was not going to be producing as much, uh, I needed a place for that to go. And so we, we were able to offer produce boxes and farm boxes to all the same customers that were buying takeout and delivery from, from the restaurant. And it was, it was a really cool service. I mean, some people were actually buying, you know, this, this large produce box just so they could get a dozen eggs because they couldn't get it at the store. Um, and then it was, it was clear there were a lot of other restaurants that weren't able to do that. It, no matter how much they said that they were farm to table and they had their own farm, they didn't have this giant supply uh, of, of, of produce because they maybe didn't really have a, a farm. Right. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, saw some, I saw some places 
even you know buying at some point buying from distributors and selling that as a farm box uh oh wow the good service but but not a farm box i mean it was grown on a farm somewhere exactly exactly So, <laughs> that's so, the yeah, problem with things that like that. The case. You know, sometimes if someone has has met a farmer once or bought a head of lettuce once, then, then all of a sudden they're a they're a farm table restaurant. But uh, you know, I think when it comes down to that, that, you know, there's not everyone has to start somewhere, and it has to be practical. Everyone has to make ends meet. It has to be practical. But as a you know, the customer, someone can you can ask those questions, and then you know, the server or the manager or the chef maybe has an answer maybe doesn't uh the other the other thing that you it, it is worthwhile to do is ask ask your favorite farmers say where where do you sell your produce mm. uh, you know the um the food hub in mendocino county was, was one of my favorite uh, sort of sis- food systems or aspects of the food system there is, is the food hub still still operating the food hub is still operating and the food hub actually was also a really important player during those um certainly the early days that maybe even up to the first year of the pandemic when like you said it was really hard to find a lot of the things that you know we take for granted being able to get in the grocery store I know that the Mendocino Grain Project in particular was able, because flour, you know, we all started baking bread. Guilty. I 1 million percent started baking bread in in (laughs) spring of 2020. Um, You couldn't find flour. And the Mendo Lake Food Hub and the Mendocino Grain Project had flour, local flour that people could buy. So, yeah, don't underestimate the, the importance of a local food shed in global crisis, because our global food system is very tenuous and runs on the slimmest of um, margins and time frames. And if one highway goes out or one computer system goes down, there's trouble. Absolutely. So yes, long answer short, the Mendo Lake Food Hub does still exist and is still awesome. That's great. And I, I thought that was such a, that was a way where it made and it, or, and continues to make buying local so practical both for the for the chef and the restaurant and the the producer and it's that was, that's such a win-win so i i do wish there was something like that here in in um in napa county but in a sense i have my own built in but i would imagine for a small farmer who wants to produce at that scale really their their options are to go to the farmer's market or to start a csa uh, I think that, that the hub, the food hub just adds one more, you know, really valuable avenue for for connecting. I want to come back to small farmers in Napa County, but real quick to wrap up our discussion about farm to table. I think part of what's tricky and part of why it's so easy to take advantage of that, you know, sort of buzz term is there's no regulation attached to what can and can't be called farm to table. Um, just like there's no regulation attached to the word sustainable. So it's basically meaningless. And it is tricky. And I love your tips of, you know, ask your favorite farmer where they sell and ask your server where it came from. I have one more tip for folks to figure out whether or not something is truly farm to table, especially if you go to this restaurant, you know, somewhat on a regular basis. If what they're serving isn't seasonal and if their menu doesn't change, like if they just have the same menu year round and there's always, you know, broccolini on it, at the very least, that broccolini is not coming from your local farm. Um, but yeah, if if you're not seeing seasonal items on a menu, then you can 
be pretty sure that's not a farm to table restaurant in the sense of a farm within your food shed within your community it you know it's all grown on a farm somewhere so technically every restaurant is a farm to table restaurant um, yeah, but, you're so right. Yeah. <laughs> See that, that seasonality. Uh, and it's, I think it's, I, I, that's something I probably take for granted as a farmer. I always know what's in, what's in season locally. Um, I, that's my job is to know what's in season locally, but I, it may be a little harder for someone who doesn't look at vegetables and plant and seed vegetables and plan vegetables every day of their, of their life. And so that's another opportunity where you ask, you, you ask the, the server or you ask the, the chef, uh, what's in season right now? Or what is like, what is the best seasonal dish right now? And where is it? And where does it come from? You know, so right. uh, it, it's a great opportunity to, to learn. And also, I think, you know, challenge the <laughs> sometimes challenge the, the restaurant to, to do better and to and show that it's show that it is important. If it's important to you, then uh, put, put your money where your mouth is. Absolutely. I mean, as consumers, every time we spend money, we are voting for that thing. And if you are going to a restaurant and saying, hey, this is important to me, and if enough people do that, it can certainly, you know, become important to that restaurant if they think their bottom line is at stake. Going back to Napa Valley farmers is are there small farmers in Napa Valley in this tiny county that is so dedicated to growing world-class grapes? There are small farmers and, and they are, uh, their farms are very small. Uh, we are, and I, I actually, this was confirmed to me just uh, two days ago. I had the, the county ag commissioner office come out to do our certified uh, producer certificate and they did confirm you were by far the largest fruit and vegetable grower, um, you know, non non grape uh, fruit and vegetable grower in the county. And I asked what who's next, and then they didn't really have there wasn't anyone even close, which kind of surprised me. But most are doing it more at a garden scale. Mm. Those, those who are doing it at a garden scale, uh, it's usually one, maybe one owner and one or two part time uh, helpers. Got it. Uh, so, and, that, and that's just what I've seen. Uh, I'll, I'll be uh, fortunate to I'll be on a, a panel where we get to come, go and visit a few of the local farms. Uh, I guess on the other hand, some are some of the farms are attached to wineries and vineyards. Uh, so there's similar services uh, either where the, the farm will provide to a um, to a tasting room or a, a small garden will provide to a tasting room, um, or or to maybe maybe to a restaurant um, or sometimes to to employees similar to what what we used to do at Parducci. Yeah, I wanted to ask what is the role that vineyards and wine plays in the farm to table movement? Yeah, the the role it could be nothing or it could be a lot and I think some of the most vibrant wineries really recognize that wine is wine and food go hand in hand so that should be front and center in in whether it be the tasting room or or even just what they're what they're providing to their employees and giving their employees the opportunity to have to have fresh food so and i think some some one thing i i always recognize that, that i've seen Definitely here at Long Meadow Ranch, and then also at at Mendocino Wine Company, Parducci, there in Ukiah, 
is that, you know, vineyards and wineries have land, they have water, they have access to equipment, and and usually there's both people who are can work uh, the land and also people who can eat. So it's, it's a perfect fit for for producing not just wine grapes, but a, a portion of, of that being being food, even if it's simply for providing to um, providing food and fresh food or an opportunity even for employees to grow their own food. Uh, there, it's it, it really is a natural fit. And it's it's a little bit, I guess, stark uh, to see a mono, just a monoculture without without any um, without anything that can actually be consumed by people, you know, for, for sustenance. Right. Yeah. And like you said, you know, as you see there in Napa, some wineries do have, you know, small gardens attached and that can provide something for the tasting room to make a little, you know, meal out of, or even a beautiful area for, for guests to walk around in. I think you're right. The mono monocropping is it's a lot of things, but chief among them, I think, for visitors to wine country or any region is that it's depressing <laughs> to look at just the same the same landscape on repeat. So if for no other reason, grow vegetables for the beauty and the bugs. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, you know, the other, the other aspect of, of that is to, you know, if the vegetable program it does take a lot of work and and maybe it's not in the budget uh if that's not but if there's available available land or a little bit a little bit of extra water then grow grow native plants that that will benefit native bees and butterflies uh and i think that's an, that's another aspect that that vineyards can contribute to is is helping to create sort of corridors of of wildland because obviously these these fertile valley floors and this, this nice area used to be corridors for wildlife and for uh, for all sorts of insects and birds so that's something else that that vineyards can can contribute to if if they're not actually growing growing food beyond the grapes yeah every, there's always more that can be done. And even if you feel like it's not enough to do something is better than to do nothing. I'm going to open the phone lines. If you have a burning question for Jess or me, or just want to, you know, talk about farm to table, the number is 707-895-2448. If you're just joining us, this is Elizabeth Archer. The Farm and Garden Show is bringing you an interview with Jess Arnstein today. Jess is the culinary farm manager for Long Meadow Ranch and Farmstead Restaurant in St. Helena, Napa County. Give us a call. 707-895-2448. While we wait to see if the phone rings, I want to give a quick shout out to the Farmers Convergence, which I mentioned at the top of the show in the underwriting. The Farmers Convergence is coming back after a three-year hiatus. It's happening this Tuesday, June 20th at Ridgewood Ranch in Willits from 830 to 4. There's going to be food, really excellent, delicious food. Actually, I got texted the menu just before uh, sliders with local meat, garden salad, kale Caesar salad, sesame noodles, and other goodies. Farms are donating ingredients. So it's going to be a farm to table meal in the truest sense of the word. 
If you want tickets or to learn more, you can go to goodfarmfund.org. I am going to try my very hardest to be there, and I would love to see any farmers there that are listening in. Okay, Jess, no calls yet. So what I'd love to do is go way back to the beginning when you said they discovered basically an abandoned um, olive orchard on the land and rehabbed it and it had been planted by a, did you say a civil war era survivor correct okay the, how do you rehab old 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 abandoned olives well i mean that's i suppose i mean first of all if you if you're in the if you go into the foothills of inland mendocino county or or inland napa county you'll find that it turns into woodland fairly rapidly you know if you were to leave a vineyard fallow for example or an olive grove fallow eventually the the oaks would move in and the madrones would move in and eventually the douglas fir would move in and and that is exactly what happened if you just picture a, a olive grove that was just left to uh nature's own devices for for over 100 years so all, you know, a lot of trees had to be cut down and removed to, to uncover this this olive grove. The next step is to essentially prune and and make the trees accessible again, because, you know, when they're in the understory of the forest, they're going to go all sorts of weird directions. I mean, as I understand, most of them actually survived. And I, I see them because these trees are phenomenal old trees. Uh, but a lot of pruning did have to take place to make them um, viable and productive and really accessible to be harvested and picked by hand because it's also all picked by hand because it's on some pretty steep hillsides. Do you know how long from discovery to their first, like, you know, decently sized harvest, how, how many years passed? I don't know that answer, though I imagine it took, uh, I would say, probably five to ten years before there was even a thought a thought in their mind. So I'll say at the same time, when they realized that that olives could grow successfully there and had been grown, and all of a sudden we had a variety, um, this this really special variety, we also added other varieties and, and planted new new olives as well but that that variety uh because it was so interesting to the halls the owners they they took it to some international olive oil boards to test it and to determine actually the the genetics of it and if it had a match anywhere in the world what what variety was this and as it turned out there was no genetic match anywhere in the world oh wow which meant that we were able to name it ourselves oh my gosh named it Prato Lungo and uh Prato Lungo means how's your Italian Elizabeth not good I speak Spanish Prato Lungo nope I I got nothing so so it means long meadow sure naturally that's that's where actually where it was grown and as far as we know the only place it's grown in the world uh and that is also that all of from that that specific block go into our Protolunga olive oil, which is, you know, one of the most specialty olive oils we, we have. And I sell it at the farmer's market. Uh, and then we have other another blend, and then we also do a, a limonado, but that Protolunga is, is actually really something special. 
How many of those trees? Because those are I'm so old by now. And I know olives can live a long time, but how many of them weren't able to be recovered? Or was it were they all pretty much still able to come back? If you walk if you walk the hillside, you'll see a few misses here and there. So but it was it's surprising how many did survive and they're a hardy tree they can live a long time you see you can see old olive trees i would say maybe there was like a 10 to 15% attrition but uh the majority really did did make it so there is something that they liked about being there even if they were completely taken over by forest and now how many acres and olives does long meadow ranch have I'm not going to be able to give you the exact number. It's going to be around probably around 10 or 12 acres. Got it. That's quite a lot. It is. It is, especially on the on the terrain. Uh, it's it's pretty steep terrain. Uh, it, there, you know, there's I want to say there's only about 30 acres of plantable grape uh, wine grapes on on that ranch, and yet the ranch is about 600 acres. So of those 600 acres, and you know less than a quarter of it is in you know plantable to uh, olives or wine grapes so there's still a lot of wild land uh, a lot of beautiful douglas fir and um, madrone forest and um, we have we also have a small cider orchard up there and we have uh, we have some some bee colonies up there uh, actually uh, through a connection that uh, carson your, your husband uh, put me in touch with and Carson so and bees showing up on the farm and garden show again. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Carson uh, is my default. Whoops. I don't have a guest guest, <laughs> which is okay. great because there there's, you can always say more things about bees. Um, this is a great time for me to say, if you're listening and you are in the farm and garden world and you'd like to be a guest on the show, I would love to have you on the show. You can email me at dj at kzyx.org and it would be super fun to, to have you. It doesn't always need to be people that I know on the show and it isn't always and... You know, Jess, you and I have known each other for a long time, but you moved away and I had a baby. So <laughs> we're not we're not in daily communication. And this has been such a delightful time to, to reconnect with you and, and hear what you've been up to. Um, but yeah, like you said, you have some bees. We do. Uh, so we we've always hosted bees that that stay here year round on uh, on the valley floor in in our orchards and uh that's just about we've we've managed to keep three hives we pretty much keep three hives down here year round up on the hill where it's a little wilder and more remote uh, up on the hill meaning up on the ranch um we've we've actually trialed this year uh bringing in some some hives out of out of the almond pollination and giving them a a site uh to, to stay and um, and kind of forage in the in the wild, uh, mostly off of wildflowers and wild trees, uh, as well as pollinating that cider orchard. We're able to like get them out in time to pollinate that cider orchard. Oh yeah, um, you know yeah, bees but, like olives too. For what it's I, worth, as I, as, as I understand, they they do, and so I think that that's probably been really beneficial to both. Um, I don't know that olives require bees. No, they don't. But they, you know, uh, it's not going to hurt them. It's going to boost them a little bit. 
Absolutely. So I, th- I think we, we caught that, that at the right time, too. So the, the hives that we have put up there kind of experimentally this first year have, have really thrived. So so that's been has been great. And can't thank uh, Carson and Bees enough for, for that connection. I'm sure he is delighted to have been of service. Um, well, wow, Jess, our time is just about up. And I want to ask you, because Napa Valley is a whole thing. And I know that it, their reservations can go for like a long ways in advance. So if people are listening and they're like, wow, Farmstead Restaurant and sounds like the place I want to be, how far out are reservations getting booked? You know, I would, if I were coming down here to eat, I would try to do it a, a week in advance. You okay, can that's not too wild. You can get, you can get in, uh, definitely make reservations. Uh, but, you know, also, even if you're just passing through, call, call in and see, see what's, see what's available. Is there a bar uh, you can sit at if? There, there is a bar. There's, there's also a cafe if you're here in the mornings. There's a really cool cafe on the property that kind of looks out over our demonstration garden at the restaurant. Uh, there's, um, yeah, an indoor and outdoor bar. And there's also a, there's a barbecue pit and a, and a live fire. Uh, the live fire isn't always, uh, in operation, but the barbecue is always in operation. Uh, you know, like a, a rotating smoker type of barbecue and like rotisserie. Uh, but this coming Friday, there's, if, if anyone, um, Ooh, wait, Jess, have- before I want to hear about Friday, but we just got a call. Hang on. Okay. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Hi there. Thanks for the show. It's so great as always. I, I had a question that's not directly related to, de- to today's show. I hope that's okay. Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm relatively new to the area, and I am looking for a source for organic straw bales, and I've just been really striking out and wondering if you have any leads. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Jess, what are your thoughts on organic straw bales in Mendocino County? Uh, since I'm not in Mendocino County anymore, the, I mean, I would ask, I would ask the grain project because that's straw and grain go hand in hand. The Mendocino grain project. Sure. Specifically talking about straw, meaning like the, the dry with no seed and no feed, no feed value or, or seed, uh, because that's what the grain project would be doing. They'd be removing the removing the seed and then the rest is, is straw. Uh, where I would, where I go, I use Rivertown feeds in Petaluma for, for any time I'm getting like, sometimes I'll feed my chickens in a, a organic bale of alfalfa. Uh, I'm fairly certain they, they keep, or they keep organic bales of, of different um, things stocked. Uh, otherwise there are a couple, how many bales are you looking for? Um, probably around 20. Okay. Uh, there's a place, I believe, called Scarpeet. I hope I'm saying it right. Um, S, like Scar, S-C-A-R-P-E-T-E. And the other name escapes me. I will share it with you, Elizabeth, if I, if I think of it. Um, and they deliver. But oh. Scarpeet is... Uh, oh, bar- Barless is the other one. Barless. B-A-R-L-A-S. Great. Good luck and welcome to the well- county. Thank you kindly. Take care. Bye. There's another call. Let's see if we can squeeze them in. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, this is uh, to answer the last caller. There's a farm out in Potter Valley that sells organic hay. She was looking for straw, not hay. 
Oh, they might have straw. Go ahead. What's their? What are oh. they called? Strong roots. Strong roots in Potter Valley. Thank you. Yeah, you could call me. You could call me at seven zero seven on here. I'm not going to put my phone on the line. But, no, it's good. Yeah, it's we'll, okay. Google is amazing. So yeah, Google's amazing. <laughs> but look. Thanks for the tip. Yep. All right, Jess. Friday night. What's happening? Yeah, so uh, we do these live fire events. So obviously, the restaurant is is a great place to make a reservation and eat, but. Uh, we do these special live fire events where the chefs come out and we'll cook all the fresh produce, fresh, uh, you know, special beef or lamb or, or pork on the open fire. So there's different spits or planchas that are used and you kind of see everything cooked right in front of you, right as you sit on on a table out in the lawn. Uh, this coming Friday, the live fire is called Meet the Artisans. So I'll be there. The winemakers will be there, the chefs will be there, and it's an opportunity to kind of sit and eat together and cut, essentially watch all this food be prepared in front of you. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fun thing that we that we do. And of course, learn about the food from the from the people who made it. So This Friday yeah, is in next, tomorrow Friday or no, next no, Friday uh, the 23rd? Friday the 23rd, And yes. if, if folks want more information about that, they would just go look for Farmstead Restaurant in Napa? The best would be to go ahead to on longmeadowranch.com. Got it. And then the event is called, I think there's something at the top of the website that says happenings. And so meet the artisans is the is the happening. Oh, my and gosh. Delightful. You know, I'm pretty sure Carson and May are going camping next weekend. So maybe I will come visit you. Okay. Have well, a little artisan Aaron, fireside Aaron chat. Be, Aaron will be there. So uh, <laughs> Awesome. Well, Jess Arnstein of Long Meadow Ranch and Farmstead Restaurant. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Um, it's been a really great conversation, and I'm just so glad that you're in the world. You too, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening. Thank you.